in this life. All of these elements parting out with life, having to do with life, are interconnected. And so as I said this morning, let's say that I have cancer in my liver. It's not just the liver that is damaged. In my body, all my entire organs, all their functions are not working properly and that's why this cancer is able to form in my liver. And so, and so as we have this interconnection of life in our body in the same way flesh, thoughts, spirit they all have this interconnected relationship and so when your flesh is broken it's not the flesh itself being broken it's not the flesh alone being broken but that there is this state of darkness and so you are being uh, your, your entire body and your flesh is or spirit and flesh is has an influence with one another and so when there's a problem with your flesh there is an interconnection with your spirit because we are spiritual beings so when you look at Proverbs right, who can heal a broken heart as it says if your spirit is broken there is no healing it, it, it's, it affects your body and so we need to be healthy in body and in soul and there are many um, evidences of this but first of all uh, sorry one moment first we rejoice in the Lord and the evidence of joy is that we do not worry and that is a sign of a healthy spirit that you rejoice and those who stand before God they cannot be characterized by fear they cannot be characterized by worry or by or by depression and yet look at how much depression is covering the church these days that is showing problem but there should not be depression in the church right as spiritual beings we should recognize this and so the fact that there is a lot of depression growing in the church is because there is no anointing there's a lack of anointing and so let us rejoice and that's why Philippians is the image of the greatest um, spirituality rejoice the church has everything necessary to rejoice amen so let us rejoice and so no matter what happens in the world there is nothing that can take the joy of God away from you for example will, will lack of money steal God's joy from your heart no that's impossible will if so-called um, um, nags at Kidok will Kidok's uh, joy be taken away no Kidok is Xiao Chie's husband so just because Xiao Chie nags at Kidok doesn't mean that 
is because you're constantly nagging at him that his face is so gloomy all the time. Love him. Love him so that his face can be brightened. This is, you don't have to translate this, but anyways. <laughs> Let us always rejoice. Amen. Because of his name, because of his glory, we always rejoice. If we recognize his love, we cannot help but rejoice. When we believe that he is completely in control, then we cannot help but rejoice. Amen? And so life unfolds according to your faith. Hallelujah. So in this last session, let us rejoice. Amen? And so, look, young adults, your faces are so downcast, so gloomy. Why are you so downcast? This is a spiritual issue. So he said a word in Korean that that is really hard to translate. It, it, even in Korean, it doesn't have a definite definition. It just means kind of like strange. And so he's asking us, how do we translate this word? And in Chinese, she said that she just she just does whatever. And I also said I just do whatever. And then so he's just talking about how how you guys are all so bad. But anyways. And so I hope that from this conference you would realize the importance of the book of Galatians. So what perspective is it important? That it is the book that encapsulates the entirety of the New Testament. Now of course Galatians is one element of the ecclesiology. But especially these two, um, these two heresies that are being dealt with in the book of Galatians are still extant today. Because if you are not the church, if you are the church, there is no need for the spirit of religion. A 
but it's because that the church exists that the spirit of religion attacks and it's because we are the church that there is this opportunity for worldliness to interlope into the community and so while this world exists the church on this earth will always have these two attacks coming against the church because you are the church and in your own maintenance of faith these two things you must always be sensitive against and always sensitive to and so whoever you may be if you are in the church there is always the opportunity to fall into religion and so for the past 20 years throughout Zoe ministry I have been continually warning against spirit of religion especially the reason why us as pastors are failed to recognize this is is because of a false seminary, it's because of incorrect seminary, because of seminaries that lead us astray. And so the, the, the flaw of religion is constantly always against the pastors and it's something that I'm very sensitive to. And so I say this to my wife and to our ministers all the time that this is actually the reason why many pastors children find their lives so lost and astray because of this spirit of religion so we must not uh, be lazy in fighting against the spirit and as I said earlier the reason why it's so difficult to fight against the spirit is because it pretends to be holy it on the outside looks holy and so the only way the only defense we have is to be filled with the Holy Spirit and so we always must be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and so frankly speaking to those who are able to live their Christian life properly for example immorality you're not going to like consider and struggle and fight against it you don't need to Oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't greed for all these things and so you repent. That's not what a proper uh, believer will have to do, right? If they truly have faith. And so frankly speaking, the one who is proper in their faith, who is properly seated in faith, will always have to fight against what? Against the spirit of religion. This is something that they cannot um, let their guard down on. And honestly, um, as a child of God, it's easy to live our lives as children of God. And also, it's really easy to live in that glory. As long as what? As long as we do not falter in the spirit of religion. And so this is one reason why we always must be filled with the Holy Spirit is to stand guard against the spirit of religion. And so do not let your guard down. 
we must we must be aware of how dangerous the spirit is because this is the spirit that crucified our Lord Jesus Christ so right Caiaphas proclaimed that and syncretism is what is reception of the spirit of the world of the secular spirit and it corrupts holiness automatically and especially in these end times the spirit of the world is what's coming strongly against the church everyone has this vessel for worldliness to enter into them in the palm of their hands and so it's not easy to fight against that spirit when you have that in your hands and so regarding this we also must not let our guard down constantly be wary and so though Galatians was written 2,000 years ago and yet uh, is pointing out the fundamental issues within the church uh, even that applies to us today and so we saw this from the perspective of darkness but now from the perspective of glory it means that the fullness of the Holy Spirit is an important element to maintain maintenance of that glory of the church and so continually maintaining that dignity that glory allowing the authority of the word to explode in power and so now in chapter 6 we're coming to the conclusion of the book of Galatians and so from a big picture he's concluding by focusing on the being of the church so chapter 6 verses 1 through 10 Paul is um, is exhorting those who are on who are on his side and then from verse 11 to verse 18 he gives his final warning in, against those who are rebelling against Paul by bringing in this spirit of religion spirit of worldliness so verse 1 through 5 he speaks about the relationship within the community and then verse 6 to 10 is their relationship to Paul so with the church what is it the head of the church is our Lord Jesus Christ and now every one of us we are members we are fellow members including the head pastor and so we are all connected to one another and I use this word being of the church the church's being that the church moves according to the principle of a body for example when my right hand lifts something up and if it cannot pick it up then naturally my left hand will go to help this is the being of the church that we have this interchange of life as one body and the reason why the church is unable to embody that life is because we are not connected to him who is the head we are not under his dominion because we need to be under the a perfect reign of him completely attuned to him then we will be entering into that being of the church 
And, the, and also in that being of the church, we need to be all interconnected with one another. If we are separate from one another, then that is also a problem. There are many reasons for this. For example, uh, we are not um, transparent amongst one another or we're unable to hear the word. There are many elements that may break down, break down this being of the church. For example, like a arm being disconnected from the body. Then, and so in that same way, um, members of the church who are not connected to the body cannot function. And remember that Christianity is not about self-meditation. It isn't about finding your Tao. Right? It's all about coming together and growing in sanctification together. A charcoal on its old has no energy, but when they are gathered together, they bring about a great fire, a blaze. And so I, I'm not going to make something up on my own. We must be a one kingdom, one nation. We are a community. And so in that being of the church, when we are one, that's when that power and authority moves forward. And so I've explained this many times, so I don't need to go into detail on in this. But regarding that being of the church, he speaks about your relationship with one another and your relationship with your leaders, with your pastor. And the, why is, does Paul conclude with these things? It's because of these two elements, the church is being broken down, right? We talked about religion and syncretism. And now Paul is emphasizing how important it is to stand firm in the structure of the church that he built in them. And so I talked about the, uh, the being of the church in a very concise way. But the devil is using his strategies and his wiles to try to break down the being of the church. And so from the being of the church, we can see how critical the attack against the church is when religion comes in, when, when syncretism comes in. When those things come in, the church is broken down. And so as we saw this morning, syncretism brings about envy, strife, uh, dis, um, uh, and, and arguments, right? Brings all kinds of, of enmity. And we saw in legalism that when that spirit of legalism enters, that instead of moving in a sense of unity, we're constantly thinking that we have to do something, we have to take an action. And so instead of moving forward in unity in this relationship together, we think that, oh, as long as I do my part, as long as I do my part and serve the church well. And so as I said earlier, right, when, when Sogo and I walk together, we have to be in step together. But, but the spirit of religion keeps us from doing that, keeps us making us be separated from one another. And keep thinking that, oh, as long as I do well, we're, we're going okay. And so for this reason, if you do not have the being of the church, to an extent, it seems like you grow. 
but ultimately you will come a point to this limit where you cannot go beyond. You cannot grow beyond that point. And I can bet my life on this truth. And today I can see, I can give you many evidences of this fact. And so the being of the church, the being of the church is necessary. And even if I don't talk about Ephesians, you will know this. Amen. So it's about the kingdom of heaven. And what is the kingdom of heaven? It's a community. It is an assembly, an assembly of the righteous. Amen. And so if you look at it from this perspective, then even if you may not be personally talented, even if you may not personally be excellent, but in that church, you are able to transcend your limitations as the intercession of the church, as the um, anointing of the church fills you up, it lets you go past your limitations. And so that's the reason why even in the book of Galatians, Paul concludes with this being of the church. And that is the focus of many epistles, is being of the church. And so even if it doesn't seem as if you are working hard, but naturally as the church is united, the church flows and moves forward. Even if it doesn't seem as if someone is individually excellent, and yet the spirit moves. If you look at our church, there's no one super talented. Really, all we have is worship and prayer, right? That's all we have is worship and prayer. Are you busy in our church? Raise your hand if we're so busy because of things that we do. Really? Really, be honest. Are you busy? Are you busy? church is very simple and when we say we're busy it's not be, what I mean by busy is doing this doing that right like for example the many programs in the church there's so many programs right there's VBS there's all kinds of things right that's what we that's what I mean when I say busy but our church we don't have many programs we don't have many things that we're doing all it's all just prayer and worship amen and that's all we put our lives on. If we say that there's someone busy at our church, maybe the teachers. But honestly, our teachers, as they teach the children, they're filled with grace, amen? Right, look at how holy our children are. I'm not speaking nonsense, am I? Children, don't get arrogant. Okay, it's because your teachers love you that they serve you. And I'm being honest. I'm being honest. Our church is not busy. We do not have all kinds of crazy programs. 
maybe when it comes to intercession, we spend a lot of time because we have 24-hour intercession, there's a lot of time invested there. But that's not busyness, rather it's dedication. And so, frankly speaking, when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, there's no need to be busy. Amen? And so, in our church, according to how this church operates, we don't need multiple programs. It's just simply prayer and worship. And so if this being of the church has constant obstacles, then the church becomes very distracted because everyone tries to go in their own direction. They try to move what they think is right. And so the church becomes very chaotic, becomes very distracted. And so, when we are in the being of the church, we will not be distracted. For example, when I say, let's gather, then everyone moves in line, in order to, to gather. Now, of course, there are a few wicked ones who do not come. But that's something that we have to deal with. But look, even now, when we say gather, everyone gathers. There are few who move according to their thoughts. But for the most part, when I say gather, they all gather. When I say to stop, we stop. It's because Jesus Christ is the head. We move according to His commands. Amen? And so as these spirits enter, interlope with the church, this flow gets broken down. And so remember, as I said this morning, freedom, right? We talked about true freedom and holiness. Kingdom of heaven is about these things. It seems as if it's chaotic and it's all spread out. But when you look at it carefully, you see that everything moves in order. Same thing with praise. Sometimes it seems like they're just doing whatever they want. But there is an order that God gives. This is the kingdom of heaven. This is the principle of Ephesians. That in everyone, everyone in their place, in their position, according to the a principle of a body, they work together to bring about a whole. And so when you look at an individual, it seems as if they're doing whatever they want. But in them, there is unity. And because God is focused on the church. And so, uh, in that unity, there is uniqueness. God does not lose sight of that uniqueness. Look at Ensip. Look at the uniqueness of each individual children here. That's what Ensip is raising them up to be. If they don't want to study, we shouldn't make them study all, uh, by force. Because their life is not going to be defined by whether they can study well or not. There is a special talent given to them by God. 
And so while they are in NSIP, it may not be clearly evident. Now some, they are. But as they graduate, and in their young adult stage, as they pray, that, that uh, characteristic will become more and more evident. This is the normal order according to the kingdom of heaven. And so can the head pastor direct this of his own? No, I cannot. That's why God reigns. That's why God must lead. I am just simply a shepherd moving according to his commands. And he is the one who directs. This is the conclusion of the, uh, of the being of the church. And these two um, spirits break that down. And so let's look at chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers. And when he calls them brothers, that means he's talking about people who are on Paul's side, right? Who are working with Paul. Who are in spirit with Paul. When you call someone brothers, it's not just um, a title. There is meaning. That we are not brothers simply on our own, but we are brothers with Christ. And because we are brothers with Christ, we are brothers with one another. And so when he calls them brothers, he's talking about brothers who are filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with holiness. Why? Because like it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, as Ansip memorized, that those who are being made holy and he who is holy uh, are of the same source and therefore he, they are not ashamed to call them brothers. not ashamed to call us brothers. We're going to make them memorize the 66 books of the Bible so that they can be immersed in the Bible as they live their lives. Those who have the Word of God will rule this world. That's why Israel has ruled this world. And so Ensib, as they are immersed in the word, word, will rule the world. And so brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you are a spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And so we're talking about the sin of legalism and the sin of syncretism. And so as many of these people are being manifest in the church. And so what he's saying is that the first thing is not to excommunicate them. Right? Many people have this misconception of me. That Pastor Mino Kim, that when I do something wrong, he'll chase me out at the first, ish, at the first moment. No, for the most part, I wait 10, 15, 20 years. 
And I am not the one who kicked them out. Rather, I, when they get kicked out is because they no longer can have anything to gain being in this church. That it is not beneficial for them to be in the church. If there's still an opportunity for them to grow or to be changed, then we leave them be. But if, if they're just getting worse and worse, I cannot let them grow down damnation. And so I give them up to Satan so that, so that they can be restored to Christ. And so first, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spiritual spirit of gentleness. So this word gentleness could be also meekness. And what does meekness mean? Meekness is not judging sin, but rather clearly defining what that sin is and where that evil comes from. And through this, that they can realize on their own and come to repent. And so the church must be spiritual. And those spiritual men with this heart of gentleness must um, put off judgment, pass off judgment, and speak according to God's word. And then keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so this is the characteristic of the spirit of meekness. That within me, I keep watch. And I keep watch watch so that I can see the plank in my eye before I see the speck in the eye of a brother. And so am I being uh, affected by the spirit of religion? Am I being affected by the spirit of the world? And so I watch over myself first. That is a spirit of meekness. And those who see that can um, align themselves first properly. Right? If you do not see your plank first, then you cannot see the speck in the brothers of I. And so we can talk about the maturity of the church from many perspectives, but fundamentally there are these standards. First, the most important thing is are you continually meeting with God? If you are continually meeting with God, there is a level of maturity. And these brothers can have spiritual influence in the church. And if you are meeting with God, what is the benefit? Is that they can see themselves clearly. If men, when he cannot meet with God, cannot see himself. And there are some who meet with God in a very um, indirect way, and they cannot see themselves then. Just as you cannot breathe in after you have breathed in once, in the same way, we need to continually be meeting with God. And so from the perspective of Galatians, how, can, how is this described? Is maintaining the fullness of the, of the new self, living in the spirit. When we do so, we are meeting with God every moment by moment. We are maintaining, maintaining that relationship of righteousness with God. And if you cannot meet with God, you cannot see yourself. You cannot know yourself. And so it's when you meet with God that you can clearly know yourself. And what will you know? What sin you have sinned? What kind of man you are? That's not what is being defined. No, am I meeting with God? And if you can meet with God, then they will see themselves clearly. 
But let's say it's, it's clear that I'm not meeting with God. That it's very occasional. And I don't know what it means to meet with God. Then 100% they do not know themselves. They do not know what wickedness they have. They do not know what evil is within them. They cannot know. And so as I said in the parable of the prodigal son, when he when returned to his father, what does it say regarding him? It says that he came to himself. That he came to himself. And so when you lose God, you are losing yourself. And when you lose yourself, you are losing God. And so when a man meets with God, he, he sees himself. And when you see yourself, you have the base to deal with your issues. As I said this morning, if you maintain the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the first step that you will reach is, ah, this is the reason why I fell. Uh, this is the thing that has tempted me. And so you come to realize, you come to realize that what has caused you to falter. This is the first step, the first step when you maintain the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so if you don't know why things happen to you, then you have not maintained the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You have not met with God. Those who meet with God are able to clearly see themselves. That doesn't mean necessarily that they'll deal with that sin immediately, but at the very least that because they know how that sin comes to them, they know the answer. And so that's why it's so important to know yourself. And so don't think like this. Oh, I know myself. If you want to truly say that, then what you need to know is that, oh, I'm meeting with God. So that means you need to say that I'm continually meeting with God. And so if you're continually meeting with God, then you can say that I know myself. You understand? And so if you are not meeting with God and yet you say you know yourself, then you are just talking out of your ass. You don't know what you're saying. You're just, you're just lying out your butt. And so stop, uh, stop talking junk. You're wasting time. It's when you have that relationship with God and that you are in that meeting with God that you are able to measure yourself and your and in your community. And this is not from my experiences. This is the law that God has put before man that you need to meet with me. You need to meet with me. That is God's law. And so we need to meet with God to see the plank in our eyes. And when we do so, that we can see the speck, the thorn in our brother's eye. And when we see properly, we're not seeing their wickedness, but we are seeing their goodness. Right? Look at uh, Jacob. After he wrestled with God on the banks of the Jabbok River, what, he meets with his brother Esau. And what does he say? He says it's as if I'm looking at the face of God. That I, when I, that I rejoice for it's as if I'm looking upon on, on, on the face of God. And so when he meets with God, that's when he sees Esau. Not Esau's wickedness 
goodness, but the goodness that God has put in him. This is the result of taking the plank out of your own eye. Amen. And so when you look at a brother and you see wickedness, then you need to first close your mouth. First, you need to see what's good in them. Then you can speak of the wickedness in them. But if you see first wickedness, then then you need to first deal with the plank in your eye. And so first see the goodness and then see the wickedness. That should be the order. Even in spiritual discernment, first you see glory, then you see the speck of darkness. If you see darkness first, then as I always say, that you are deceived. If you keep looking at darkness and darkness alone, then eventually that darkness will come into you and take hold inside of you. And you will not even recognize that it came into you. And so when it comes to discernment, you need to see glory first. And in that glory, find the darkness. And so there are many who continue to see darkness first, and so they're filled with that darkness. We need to be filled with God's light. We need to be filled by looking at God. Right, during the Joseon kingdom, uh, the one of the crown princes, instead of spending time with the king, continued to spend time with the eunuchs. And so when he came to the king, what did he say? He said to the king, I want to be a eunuch. No, I'm just, this is a lie. This is a lie. But I'm saying that that is possible. If you continually spend time not with your father, but you spend time with the eunuchs around you, the servants, then you're going to want to become like the servant. You need to keep seeing glory, but you keep seeing the darkness. And because you keep looking at darkness, the problem that rises is that the scale of your faith gets so bound, so constricted, that you are no longer having that scale. You don't have that great vessel to receive the glory of God. There's so much junk filling that vessel and so you cannot have that scale of God and so you cannot have the faith of God you live according to what you think is right what you think is good and so this person will be a man of suffering so moving on verse 2 bear one another's burdens and so what does it mean to bear one another's burdens so to those who are to, to take the burden of those who are who are um, influenced by legalism and, and syncretism and also going beyond that as the being of the church we share in one another's burdens amen that's what it means to be one body right when the right hand is struggling the left hand helps that is the member of the body that is love and so who is the most wicked one in the church the most wicked one in the church is the one who is always just trying to solve his own problems who is always only concerned with his own problems and so this person always is only has their own problems so what we need to do is we need to give my problem to God and share in the burdens of our brothers that's what that's the principle of the being of the church that is the principle of the being of the church 
and, and yet you are in the church for 10, 15 years and all you're focused on is me, me, my things, my problems. This is the most wicked person in the church. These kinds of people, please, I urge you to repent deeply. Or, or don't go to church, or rather go, go to some kind, of, some kind of organization, some club, you know, like some kind of, um, you know, like some kind of like, what's it called, um, uh, volunteer, uh, you know, you know, those, 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 um, those community clubs, like for example, Lions Club or, or Rotary Club. And so when we bear one another's burdens, it could be a spiritual thing, it could be a material thing, it could be a physical thing, whatever it may be. As, as one body, we should help one another. Our church is doing this, doing this part, first part really well. There are a few who are still very selfish, but it's okay. We we are doing well. The one, those who remain selfish, they cannot um, unfold their wings. They'll always be bound. But let us bear in one another's burdens. Now that doesn't mean uh, it's not from the perspective. Oh, I'll, let me be blessed by helping others. No, but rather, rather God is going to bless you because so that you can continue to help one another. Look at us. We are sharing in the burdens all over the world. And so God gives us the scale to uphold that level. This is the principle of the kingdom of heaven. The principle of the kingdom of heaven isn't about dealing with my issues first, but it's about being, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not selfish, but the opposite. Anyways, looking out for your neighbor. Oh, I, I'm forgetting English. Oh, Janine, I can't speak English. I can't speak Korean. <laughs> and so it's about sharing in one another's burdens. Look at the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. <laughs> Jesus took up these five loaves and the two, he said squid, that's why they're laughing. It's not squid, but fish, right? Not squid, but fish. He's so Korean, he likes squid. <laughs> if you were in Korea, it would have been two squid, not two fishes. But because he was in Israel, it's two fish. Mozambique also, two fish. Right? As he prays for these five loaves and two fish, it's not all of a sudden these loaves became like a mountain. Though I'm hungry, he gives to the person next to them first. And so they keep giving, and they keep giving, and as they keep giving to the person next to them, it multiplies, multiplies. This is the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And so even now, that principle is still applies to the kingdom of heaven. And so the church needs to be able to cut down at that evil cycle, at that vicious cycle. 
that though I'm poor, in faith I give more, I give more, though I may be poor. That is going to cut at that vicious cycle at the root. Instead of trying to solve my problem, always focused on my problem, thinking what's what I'm going to do. This is the spiritual principle. That's what it means to uh, fulfill the law of Christ. Right? What is the law of Christ? It is the law of love. Right? It is to love one another. And so bearing one another's burdens is loving one another. And so when we do not bear one another's burdens, it's because we do not love one another. Amen? And so bless the person next to you. That I want to bear your burden. 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 Oh, burden. So let's continue. Verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And so you don't even bear another's burdens, but you think that, oh, I'm something. No, that's a lie. You don't live by the kingdom of God's principles and yet you think that spiritually you're something? No, that's a lie. The highest principle of the kingdom of heaven is all about being, oh, I keep, I don't know this word, but being not self-centered. <laughs> oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, this is going to kill me all night. <laughs> And I used this example a long time ago. Someone went to hell. And they're all scrawny and, and dying of starvation. They're all weak. And yet there's food everywhere. There's food everywhere in hell. But they are all dying of hunger. But then he goes to But the reason is because it's not a fork, but a stick, a big stick that they have to eat. And so because it's too long, they cannot feed themselves. And that's why they're starving. But when he went to heaven, and they're all fat, like me, looking so content, nice, and plump. And they have the same thing. They cannot bend their arm. And yet, why are they so fat and full? Because they are not eating themselves. They're feeding other people next to them. <laughs> right like this. <laughs> and so it's not about looking for my own gain, but for others. <laughs> And so if you are self-centered, you cannot bring about the kingdom of heaven. True happiness is when you find happiness in others first. That is true happiness. And so even though you are living in faith, you're still so self-centered, always looking out for yourself. These kinds of people, they need to change the direction of their life. Stop being obsessed with your own problems, but being able to bear the burdens of one another. You don't need money. 
whether it's, whether it's prayer or maybe sometimes you, they may need your strength whatever it may be this is what's bringing heaven down on earth this is the method of the kingdom of heaven so let's continue verse 4 uh, but let each one test his own work and so though you are bearing in one another's burdens you are testing your own work and so it's not doing your own work but test your own work what does that mean it means to let your burdens down before God it's not about me solving my problems but bear, letting them down before God and bearing in the burdens of one another and so what happens then and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor what does this mean if you look at the original Greek it means that you do not need to boast by comparing yourself with one another because you meet with God you see your own problems and you are able to lay it down before God and when you lay it down it gives you the ability to bear in one another's burdens and so what happens it's not oh God why is he being blessed and not me Rather, you see the uniqueness of how God treats each individual. It's not just seeing my own wickedness, but seeing the good blessings that God has given me. That, ah, God has given me this. He has given me such great treasure. And as these things are discovered, found within you, you see this is the blessing of those who live for others. And so let's say that uh, these amazing things are not being manifest. And because they are self-centered, they are, they are loving only these things. But when they go, when they go for others, they now re enjoy the things that blesses others. And this becomes surfaces. This surfaces, right? And so... And so they are able to see that the things that God gives are what's great. And so you understand the joy, the blessing that comes from serving others. And so this is the blessing that God is revealed. God is manifest. It's the same thing as I go all over the world. This is the blessing that God gives me is to serve all over the world. It's not about my own faith, but seeing the saints all over the world being transformed. This is my blessing as I serve others. This is the blessing that God has given me. That I'm being renewed in seeing them transforming as, as we serve others, serving the people in the world. And so if the church is not for others, then they are in their limitation, always being bound, being bound. That's not the kingdom of heaven. And so let us not get lost in this vicious cycle. And so when I began my pastoral ministry, I understood this. And so the beginning, I started praying for others. 
because this is the principle of the kingdom of heaven. It's not about my excellencies. It's not about my boasting. No, this is the principle of the kingdom of heaven. Constantly praying for others, constantly interceding for others. And as I did so, the great things that God has given me started to manifest, started to manifest more powerfully. And so if we do not move in the principle of the Spirit of God, though I have the ability to to avail all these great blessings of God, but because we lose sight of this principle, the church just gets covered over, gets buried, gets buried in their selfish desires. And so pastors, this is something that we really need to dig deep. There are many ways to see new things in your church members, in your saints. One of those things is to loosen their bindings, right? And so sometimes, according to the need, you need to bring them to realize it. But for the most part, the most important thing is to teach them how to live according to the principle of the kingdom of heaven. So that they can see their ta- see and discover for themselves the talents that God has given them. This is the dominion of the kingdom of heaven. This is the reign of God's kingdom. Amen? And so let's continue. Verse 5. For each will have to bear his own load. And so earlier it said, bear one another's burdens. And so it's not... Uh, giving your burdens to others and taking their burdens. No. You take their burdens but also bear your own burden, right? And so what does it mean that you are growing spiritually? Is that you are able to bear more of that burden. It's not just my own burden. Right? Many of you who've gone to the military, you understand this. Right? That you go to special training. Right, and in that special training, you have to fully pack up and go 26 kilometers. It's about 30 kilometers. And so at our time, we had to take our full pack and go 40 kilometers. He never went to the army. So. <laughs> And so once you get at the end of that 40 kilometers, it's like you feel so exhausted. But now you have to set up camp. And so you take that burden, you take that pack, and you take the pack of your, of your neighbor, and you say, let's go, let's go. And so you grow in that strength to carry one another's burdens, right? That's what brings about the strength of that army. This is the relationship that we should have with one another, to bear one another's burdens. This is the image of the early church. They all bared in one another's burdens. They shared with, they shared in communion. This is the true church. This is the fulfillment of love. Amen. And so let's continue. And so now we have finished with this part of dealing with our relationship to one another. So do you have faith? Amen. 
This is the image of the church in these end times, that we are united. Now let's see their relationship to Paul. Verse 6, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And so those who receive the teaching are the saints, and those who and the one who teach is Paul. But not just Paul, also the leaders in their community. And so let the one who is taught the word share all good things. Good things. And so, uh, first of all, this is the word of God. And so the relationship with the pastors and his saints is what is when the word is given, receiving that word in faith. So without that relationship, we cannot share anything else. We should not share anything else. And so primarily, their relationship should be based on what? Of giving and reception of the Word of God. And so at the very least, in Yerbang Church, this is the principle that has been established. And so I cannot have deep fellowship with those who cannot receive the Word. This is a fact. Let's say that he gives me something good to eat. I may receive it, but I cannot share fellowship with him. Because, I mean, if he gives, I have to receive, right? That, that, is, that is manners, right? It's polite to at least receive. <laughs> but the important thing is, is this relationship of giving and reception. This is the relationship of the gospel, relationship of spirit, relationship of life. It's when we have this relationship that this relationship is a relationship of blessing. As it says in Hebrews verse 13, chapter 13, that it's, as, that it's in this relationship that the pastor prays as if he's indebted to them. And so truly, that in that relationship can a pastor uh, sincerely pray. Now, of course, when they, that relationship isn't there, the pastor should pray that that relationship would be made. And so above all else, what that relationship, what relationship needs to be made is the relationship between this giving and reception of the word. According to Philippians, the relationship of the gospel. And because they have this relationship of the gospel, that they are able to die for one another. That the saints could die for Paul, and Paul can also die for the saints. Why? Because when you give the word, you are giving life. And it's not just sharing the word, but it's also sharing other good things. Right? There are many saints who only bring problems. No, it's okay. You can bring it. You should bring it. But, but if you bring 10 problems, then at the very least, bring one good thing. But if only for 10 years you're just bringing bad things and only eating the good things for yourselves, that, that makes me upset. Since if you bring 10 problems, at least bring one good thing. And for the most part, our church members are very good in regarding this. There are a few who aren't, but... 
No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Bring all your problems. Okay. I'm not calculating whether you brought it nine times in order to do it. Okay, but above all else, receive the word. That's the most important thing, right? That's the most important thing with between our relationship. Amen. And so even now, the reason why I have such a special heart for the Central Americans is that even though they have not been in seminary, they receive the word as if it's their life. And so they move immediately. And this isn't my heart, but it's God's heart for them. And because we have this relationship, God will use me to give them all things. This is the heart of God for his saints. And so above all else, the relationship with the pastor and his saints is a relationship of the word of God, giving and reception of the word of God. And so verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. What is he trying to say? So I think I said this a couple days ago. That I have a relationship with God. But I just don't have a good relationship with the pastor. Oh, because I have a good relationship with God? Oh, it's okay that my relationship with my pastor is not so good. No, I can bet my life on this. This is a complete contradiction and a complete lie. Why? Because many times, God, of course, God blesses directly, but for the most part, He blesses through the church. And He blesses through the pastor and through the prayer of the pastor. And so, pastor is the spokesman of God on earth, right? And so that's what they're saying, right? That they have a relationship with God, but I'm not close to Paul. No. This is a lie. Do not mock God. That God does not move outside of his order. And so if you do not have that relationship in that church with that pastor, and so it's not a humanly relationship. I'm talking about this spiritual relationship, right? Then you cannot have a good relationship with God. Let's say that your relationship with your father is bad, then it's hard for you to receive the love of the father, right? Look at Joseph, or not Joseph, sorry. Let's say that in your workplace, you're always rebelling against your boss. Then I'm sorry, you cannot be blessed in that company. Eventually, you're going to have to quit. Right? In all relationships, it's about entering into that leadership, right? Falling in line. How much more that would that apply to the church of God? And so if you are not under my leadership, then I'm sorry, your life is going to be hard. If you are not under the leadership of my wife, then these kinds of people will always eat just instant meals. It's when you are good with your mother that you are filled, your belly is filled. It's when, you're, when your mother is upset that you eat instant meals, right? 
And our church members know this really well. And so when they buy my present, they always buy my wife's present. Sometimes, don't even buy my present, but only buy a present for my wife. It's okay. I, that doesn't make me upset. Really. Really. I'm not upset. Truly. Truly. Every now and then I do get a little jealous. But, but I'm not upset. And so God is not mocked. Your relationship with your leader is important. It's important to be in that leadership. And so with this relationship with the pastor, it's about receiving his, the word of God. And when you are under the blessing of that leadership, that you will reap what you sow. And as I said in 1 Corinthians, that when you are under the pastor's leadership and you respect your pastor, the first blessing will be that your children will receive the word. That as they see their parents respecting the word and the pastor, they will understand the importance of the word in their lives. But when you have a rebellion, your children cannot be blessed. This is the principle of the world. And so when you stand as a representative of that church, God is showing you the order of these things. And so am I saying as a pastor to, to be on the side of pastors? No, I'm not saying this because I'm a pastor. I'm saying this because this is the principle of the kingdom of heaven. Amen? So verse 8, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. So what is this saying? This is speaking of the legalism in Galatians, the, rev, uh, the syncretism in Galatians. And so when you look at this flow of the flesh, it means that you're unable to receive the word of God from the pastor. And so this is sowing to your flesh. And so what do you need to be wary of is those who are self-meditating, who are, who are self-excellent in, in, in the church. It's not that they're receiving grace in the word, but they are working hard to, to do it themselves, to, to, to receive revelation. And they, these are the ones who have strong influence of rebellion, that they are always ready to bring disorder and chaos to the church. This is all sowing in the flesh. This is all legalism. And this is all people who are living by their own strength, by their own will. They are all living by their own ability and they are, they are finding their own Tao, right? That's what it is. And so, uh, but the one who sows in the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And so when they receive the word, according to that word, they will live by the move of the Holy Spirit. And this is the guarantee of eternal life. Amen. So verse 9. 
And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And so he said to bear one another's burdens. And so you have right relationship with your pastor. And in these things, what are you doing? You are doing what is good. And as you continually do this, you will reap your fruit. And so as you bear one another's burdens and have this relationship, that there is fruit regarding these things. Your children will be blessed, your inheritance will be blessed, right? These things will be evident. And so all you have to do is receive the word in faith. Is that's all as simple as that. Right? And so I'm not looking for many things. Pastors are not looking for many things. Just looking, is that church member receiving the word? That's all. And then from there, if he gives money, oh, great. He is golden boy, right? <laughs> I'm not telling you to bring me money. <laughs> but bring me a house. <laughs> So verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And so to everyone, this is including even those outside of the church. But who is most important, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith, fellow members. And so you are very little bit to those who are in the church, but, but give all this to the outside village. Right, in the church, you're not even giving a napkin. But when you go to a community or a clubhouse, you, you, you pour out meals. That means that your priorities are not in order. First, the church. First, God. And the saints. Amen? And now let's see the warning against the rebel rebels. Verse 11. Oh, wow, we have not spent that much time. Okay, but let's end when it ends and move according to the leading of God. Amen? Are you being blessed? Galatians is good, yes? And so you didn't understand how good Galatians was, did you? Why are you, uh, are you acting as if that you understand the goodness of any book? <laughs> right? You didn't understand the goodness of Ecclesiastes, did you? But these days, we are being blessed through Ecclesiastes, are we not? The first blessing of Ecclesiastes is knowing that the author is not Solomon. That I heard for the first time that is not Solomon. There are many of you, right? Many of you. Oh, Jonah. <laughs> right, this is what happens when you are in seminary that, that don't know what they're talking about. Anyways, verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. 
So when he says large letters, he's talking about how important this is. Some people say that Paul wrote with large letters because he had weak eyes. No, I don't think that's the case. Right? Because remember, paper and pen was very expensive at that time. And so when he writes with large letters, that means he's investing a lot into that. Right? And so verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. So these are, he's talking about those legalists. It's so that they can um, make some good showing in the flesh. What is good showing in the flesh? They are boasting in themselves. They're trying to boast in themselves. That is the showing, good showing in the flesh. And so they would force you to be circumcised. That, that they are making you be circumcised even by deceiving you. Remember, you were saved in by the grace of Jesus Christ and yet through the law you perfect that salvation? No. So they're trying to force you to be circumcised in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. And the reason why they're doing this is because of two things. Right? When we say so that they would not be persecuted, it's two things. First is their relationship with the government of Rome, and second is their relationship with the tradition of Jews. They do not want to be persecuted in both ways. And so, to make a showing in the flesh, they make you be circumcised. So that they can have this influence, right? That they could boast in their influence. That, oh, look, they have all been circumcised. And so AD 40 was when uh, 49 was when they had that council in Jerusalem and they determined what the Gentiles would have to do. They simply don't eat anything that has been strangled to death and do not eat the blood. Apart from these two things, all the law do not have to be strictly adhered to. Right? That's what was determined at the Council of Jerusalem. And yet, in AD 55, these legalists are still emphasizing keeping of the law. That is great wickedness, right? Already, the apostles and the deacons in the Council of Jerusalem have determined that that law is not what's necessary, right? And that Paul has been acknowledged in his ministry. And so this is this is just strict con artistry. Because they do not want to live by the truth, as we said this morning. It's not that they do not know, they don't want to do it. They want to live in the world. But because they also want to be part of the church, they're, they're, they're trying to make this compromise. And this is wickedness. That's what's going on here. So let's continue. Verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. 
because because of this this contradiction in the law, they cannot keep all the law, right? They can't keep it. It's impossible because there are so many contradictions in the law. And yet they are making you, they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh, as I said earlier, so that they can say to the Jews that we are spreading these the law to the Gentiles. That's why they're doing this. That, oh, we're doing this so that, uh, so that they can boast, so that they will not be persecuted by the Jews. And so they are compromising so that they can live comfortably in faith. And there are many reasons. But first of all, it's because they are looking out for themselves. They do not want to live by the principle of God. They don't want to live by the kingdom of heaven. They don't want to live perfectly in line with the truth. And so we'll see this later. If you live by the truth, in one way or another, there will be suffering. But the power of the truth, the influence of that truth, is that it allows you to overcome that suffering. And that that suffering is evidence that you are living in that truth. And so one reason why everyone is so weak in faith these days is because they do not have this evidence of the truth in their lives. And so they cannot know, they cannot be certain that they are living in faith. They do not have evidence of that truth. And so they are unable to meet with their God. And so look, in Malaysia and in China, right, they have less reasons to be faithful. Why? Because, if, because there is persecution, right? And so from that perspective of circumstances, they are in a worse place, right? And yet, they, we find that they are, have a better circumstance because there is proof, there is evidence of that truth. But in the Western world, in Korea, there is no proof. You compromise and it's okay. And so honestly, this in itself should not be a struggle. That is just compromise. It's compromise. It is um, disobedience. It is the spirit of the world. And as I said in this morning, that when you are filled with the Spirit, you do not have this compromise. You do not have this, 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 this conflict. And so stop trying to compromise. Compromise is, is a very uh, dangerous um, flaw to, to the kingdom of heaven. And as you get more immersed in this, the more you will fall into struggles in your life. And there will be more and more problems in your life. So whether it be money or your children, these kinds of things will continually uh, 
uh, just as a small snowball grows and grows into an avalanche, it becomes a big problem later on in your life. And so be wary. Let us live by the truth alone. Verse 14. Far, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is not just Paul's confession, but it must be our confession as well. That without the cross being there first, we should not open any other route. And so remember, uh, in other words, when we look at Paul's life, the cross has been a curse to Paul. Think about him. He was in uh, the school of Gamaliel. He had lots of money. He was well respected in the Jewish community. And he was even a Roman citizen. And so Paul had every opportunity. And yet when he met with the cross, he was chased away from the cities. He was a cast out of his own community. He was stoned multiple times. He was imprisoned. He had to suffer colds, had to suffer hungry. He had to be mocked in the streets. And so in other words, because of Jesus Christ, he was ruined. And yet, and yet what does he say? He says that I boast in nothing except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because through that cross, he received all the dignity and glory of God. And so even though he's suffering, and even though he's being mocked and being persecuted at every corner, through that cross, the glory that I've received from God, it does not compare. That even just this title of being a son of God, being a new creation, being having the privilege to draw near to his throne, because all of these things are real in Paul's life, it, it, it transcends any suffering he may go through. So what does he say in 2 Corinthians? That though I may be nameless, I am famous. Though I may be poor and yet making others rich. This is all through happening through the cross. And so he has this fullness of confidence. So through the cross, through Christ, everything that he has received is life. And so even if he has to give up a hundred things, he will not give up the cross because he has seen the glory of the kingdom of heaven. He has seen how much God loves him through that cross. And so, except for the cross, he will boast in nothing. The same thing applies to us. That through the cross, if we have received that glory, if we have confirmed that dignity, then what is there to talk about apart from the cross? Amen? This cross has saved you. Through this cross, you have relationship with God. You are forever connected to God. Through that cross, you have dealt with sin. And so you have become righteous before God. That all 
all the curse of your works has been set free. And through that cross, you have met with his love. And that love has taken responsibility of your life. And so this isn't Paul's confession alone, but our confession as well. That apart from the cost, I will not boast in anything else. That I would not change this for anything. And so through this, by which, what does Paul say? By which the world has been, oh wait, sorry, sorry, sorry. Accepting the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because this cross is everything in my life, the world cannot receive that cross. And so remember that uh, the cross is the scandalon to the world. It is a stumbling block to the world. And so as long as that cross is effective in my life, then I will always suffer in this world. You should not look for easiness in this world when you have this cross. You should not yearn for comfort in this world. The only comfort you should have is in eternal Sabbath, in eternal rest. And so if you are desiring worldly comfort, then you are denying the cross. Because the world cannot accept that cross, cannot understand that cross, cannot grasp the cross. And so if that cross is first in my life, as Jesus was crucified on that cross, we also must suffer with him. So the life of a saint cannot find fleshly comfort. And so if you are still seated seated here, then you are the remnant. You or you are crazy. Amen? Right? What religion says, I will give you suffering? What is religion? Religion is looking for blessing. And yet, Christianity is not a religion. It is life. And so we suffer. And right now, the time of darkness is growing. And in that time of darkness, the true believers, the true believers who boast in the cross alone, will share in this suffering and will uh, suffer to the point of death for that cross because they see that glory. But if you continually pollute this, corrupt it, then you will fall. And so if the world enters into the church smoothly, what that church is looking for is looking for goodness, to be adequately holy, to be adequately spiritual, to be adequately nice, and to also enjoy the fancinesses of the world, to be nice, nice and nice to the world. And so they, uh, they emphasize good, being good to the world. That is a church led by the Satan, not by Holy Spirit. We are not trying to be good. We are being holy. A church that has the cross, that can give our life, that can give our entire being to the church. The church that has set the cross before them. 
Stop trying to be a good church. Stop trying to be smooth to the world, to be nice to the world. Right? Oh, if you say that, Pastor, he's going to get offended. No, that's not what's important. Stop trying to be nice. The gospel is, is rough on the edges. And so when you are filled with uh, the worldliness, you will look nice to people. You will be smooth. That is humanism. That is all self-centeredness. That is not how the gospel moves. When it says die, you die. When it says to give, you give. When it says to give your life, you lay your life down. That is the church that can say the cross. Let us this be all our confession, that I boast in nothing but the cross. Amen? And so uh, the world crucified through this cross. And so Paul says what? That the world is crucified to him. And because the world has been crucified to him, he is the standard of judgment for the world. Everyone who mocks Paul, everyone who rebels against Paul will be judged according to that standard. That is the, the greatness of Paul, right? As it says in 1 Corinthians, either be a aroma of salvation or a aroma of death to the world. It's one or the other. You must be an aroma of either salvation or aroma of death. But you should not be hazy. If the cross stands before you, that true standard will stand before you. It's the same thing in the church. If that cross and the gospel is always before them, then the, tr then the goat and the sheep will always be made evident. And pastors, you will see that clearly. You will see that separation with that cross. And so when that cross stands firm, the true ones and the false ones will be made evident. Are you true? Can you die for the gospel? Can you give everything you own? Amen. Verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And so to a church that has this cross as everything, legalism is nothing. Only a new creation. Only new self. Only be filled with the new self. Only that new self has gain. Verse 16. And for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. 
This is Paul's uh, greeting, final greeting. And as he makes this final greeting, all of a sudden Paul remembers to say, and so actually 17, 18 should have come after verse 15 rather than after verse 16. But Paul forgot to say this. And remember, because this is ink, he cannot erase. There was no way to erase, right? And so after he wrote it down, he could not erase it. And so it's out of order. And so now he speaks verse 17. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. For what is he saying? That Paul is not going to move by, by the whims of people. Right? He boasts nothing but the cross. And so it's when the cross moves that Paul moves. And so the Holy Spirit moving is what moves Paul. God, word moves, Paul moves. And this is the image of those who the cross is everything to them. They do not move according to the circumstances or of the world. And so what does he say? For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. So why was Paul able to live this way? Because on him is the stigma of Christ. Right? Paul literally has scars, bears these scars. But that's not what he's alluding to. But rather, just as Christ bared his scars, bore his scars on the cross, in the same way spiritually, Paul has been crucified on that cross, so he bears those scars. So he's talking about his um, meeting with Christ on the road to Damascus. This glorious meeting, this clear evidence of being crucified on the cross, this stigma. He is not moved by the world. So you also must have the spiritual stigma. I have it. Shall I show it to you? Do you see it? I pray that all of you would have this stigma. And this stigma is what? Boasting in the cross. And so, however, this Christ the cross applies to you. Right? You will not go to the cross because of sins again, but it will become the standard of holiness. Because he died, he died on that cross for your holiness. And so we are no longer going to the cross to deal with our sins, but to confirm that holiness. And because of that righteousness, we are receiving that holiness. As he says, be holy for I am holy. Right, that cross is that motivation for holiness. And remember, that holiness is a symbol of his love, that he died for me. That becomes motivation. And through the cross, if that holiness, if it's not motivation for holiness and for love, then that means you have been hardened. And I've used this example many times, that there is a baby. 
And this baby grew up, well, was raised well, listening to the word. But as he got older, he started to get corrupted by, by the evil ones in his city. He started to drink, coming home late. And this father could not leave him alone. And so, he said, do not go out at night. That I will punish you if you do, if you get caught. And so, because of this warning, he started to live well for a little bit, but then fell. And he started to be corrupted again. And started to drink again. And fighting in the streets. And then so, the father called him. He says, this is my last warning that if you continue down this way, I will punish you. And so he said, I understand, Father. I will get my things together. And so he was able to live well for a while. But then his friend said, hey, come on, come out. Come on, let's go out. Let's go out, let's go drink, let's go party. No, I can't, I can't. But remember, these demons are, are persistent. Come on, let's go, let's go. And then so he went out. And he started to do bad things again. And then father found him. And he came with the with the with the with the with the whip. But he sees his son's legs and it's so thin, so scrawny. And he felt that if he whips him, this leg's going to break. And so he he swung the whip and he hit his own leg. And blood started to burst. And the father and the son holds him and says, Father, I'm sorry, Father, I'm sorry. And he realizes and sees that and, and, and repents. And then a month passed by. And then again his friends tempt him. And because of this temptation, he wants to go out. And as he tries to sneak out, he sees his father washing his legs. And on those legs, he sees those scars because of him. He sees this stigma because of him. And because of the stigma, he turns back to his room and he repents. This is the cross for you. Right? God struck himself. And so you must have this stigma. This is your motivation for holiness and your motivation for love. And so if that cross is this motivation, if it's not this motivation, that means you have been influenced by religion. This must move your heart. It must give you this desire for holiness. That, oh, I must be holy. Oh, I must be holy. It must be your motivation for love. That truly, God, you love me that this is the stigma of the cross. And so with the, those who have the stigma will not move by the world. They will not respond to the world. They will not compromise with the world. This is the absolute relationship with God that they will have because of this stigma, because of this cross. And so I bless you that you would all have this stigma of Christ. So let us pray.
that let us boast in nothing but the cross. Amen? That I have the stigma of Christ. And so I pray that you would bear this stigma on your hearts. So let us uh, fix our eyes on the cross. Amen? So let us face that cross again today. Let us face that cross. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This sermon is so gracious, amen, that my wife is crying her eyes out right now. I'm grateful. Was my sermon so gracious? No, it's not my sermon, it's God's grace, amen? So Lord, we thank you. Truly, Lord, you have blessed us through and we have come, we have closed Galatians and now in every church, may the gospel of Galatians circulate in our churches. May this nuclear reactor move powerfully in our churches. That the authority of the word would be established in each church and that the riches of your kingdom may be fulfilled. That each and every church would be covered with your kingdom. And Lord, in this final session, according to the words of Paul, that we would have the aroma of Christ in us, that your cross would be before us, and that as we cast our gaze upon that cross, may it be the motivation for our lives, may it be the motivation for holiness and for love, that the, that the holiness that our Father has given us, how noble it is, how precious it is, that this holiness that we do not deserve that it would truly uh, bring about reverence inside of us be filling in us that your cross would be established before us may it be poured out like water upon us Lord may we have deep fellowship with you tonight and once again may your uh, glory be reconstituted today be renewed today bless today's offering bless and bless it more and more Lord let us meet with you deeply once again. Amen. Amen. And let us close with benediction. And now, by the grace of Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, and through the holy love of the Father, and through the indwelling, comforting, fulfilling work of the Holy Spirit, 
to the saints who have the stigma of Jesus Christ like Paul and boast only on the cross, upon their families, upon their inheritance, upon their workplace, upon their business, upon their vision, upon the peoples, the nations, upon the remnant and Zoe ministry all over the world. May this blessing rest now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.